DJ PK, and it's time to welcome in Michael Lev. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. BYU plays Arizona in the season opener. The Utes will have their traditional South Division clash with Arizona later in the season. So Ute and Cougars gather around the radio, and let's see what we can learn about the Wildcats as they try to pull off a bounce-back season. Michael, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? We are doing we are doing well. Can the same be said of the Wildcats? Because the last time we saw them, they were getting absolutely pummeled by Arizona State. Coaching change. Everything's brand new. Is uh, is Jedfish changing the just the whole energy and vibe around the program? Because it seems like if that doesn't happen, then everything else is a waste of time. He is, and he has. Um, there's a just a different kind of feel to everything under Jed Fish. Um, things are very open. Um, there's a, an undercurrent of optimism around here, um, which is uh, great. It's refreshing. It's needed. Um, no one talks about that um, terrible Territorial Cup experience. Um, who, who would want to talk about it here? Um, it was pretty much, uh, you know, a nightmare. Um, but maybe it was necessary because um, change happened afterward. And thus far, um, the, the change has been positive. Uh, you know, things could change, of course, again, uh, once they take the field against BYU. If, if um, that game is, is a blowout loss, uh, people will start, you know, maybe talking about Know, personnel and what what's wrong with Arizona football and that sort of thing again. But for now, it's all about um, how different things are, different looking offense, different approach to spring practice, um, open practices, uh, involvement of the community, turning things around. I mean, everything is sort of is pushing uh, in a positive direction. Well, Michael, as an ASU grad myself, I talk about 70 to 7 every day. So I, I, I enjoy taking it. I just have a TV downstairs. It's just on constant rerun. It just starts from the beginning and goes to the end. I, I turn it off when Jackson He scores that last touchdown, and then I go to bed. Uh, but following the Wildcats uh, and what they've been doing, certainly Fish has been uh, bringing in a lot of energy, but it was hard not to because Sumlin was a big old downer and his team sucked and all that. So you still have to have players, and with that in mind, let's just start right at the quarterback. We know Gunnell took off, transferred out, and so in spring they had a couple local guys, Gunnar Cruz, I think he start, uh, was at Washington State and then transferred in, and then Will Plummer's up from the Phoenix area. But they, and both those guys were in spring ball. But they also have Jordan McLeod, who is a uh, coming over as a South Florida transfer, and I think he has like uh, 15, 16, 17 starts. So he's got some experience, not necessarily for a great team, but as far as quarterback, where do you think it stands? Yeah, it's wide open still. Um, Gunnar Cruz, uh, who's from Arizona, uh, he did transfer in in March jumped right into the quarterback competition in spring. He and Will Plummer went back and forth uh, throughout spring camp. And, I mean, I would have said maybe halfway through spring that Gunnar Cruz was ahead and was the favorite for the job. But then Will Plummer, who had hit kind of a, a wall 
at one point he rallied in a pretty significant way and he closed that gap. And I'd say the two of them are neck and neck at the moment. And then you bring Jordan McLeod into the mix and he's going to be given every opportunity to win the job. So I don't think we're very close at all to figuring out who that is. Um, it's a big transition for pretty much any um, high school or transferring quarterback because very different system than what these guys are used to. Um, I was just watching some highlights of Jordan McLeod the other day, and he's you know he's running a spread down there in South Florida. He's in the shotgun all the time. Um, you know when they do a play action fake, it's that little you know kind of dip the ball down and take a step back. When they do a play action fake in this offense. I mean, it is you know NFL style. You're under center. You're turning your back to the defense. You're taking five and seven step drops. Um, there's a lot of uh, different mechanics that are involved in that. Um, it's there's different verbiage that's involved. Um, and you, know, you saw the the, the growing pains uh, with the two quarterbacks who were here uh, in spring. Uh, both of them kind of had their moments of kind of indecisiveness, hesitation, where you could just tell that they're thinking about a lot of stuff out there and not playing freely. And it wasn't kind of until the end of spring that Will Plummer started to, to really open up and play freely um, and, and use his natural ability uh, where it was kind of becoming muscle memory. Um, and that's kind of the, I don't know that's the the kind of the common theme for every one of the quarterbacks as we head into summer and into training camp is how do they handle that transition to a very different uh, pro style offense. So at running back, uh, Brightwell's gone off to the Giants now. Uh, Michael Wiley played a little bit in the spring, but not a lot. Uh, you wrote a thing about Bam Smith. What was happening at running back? How is this going to sort itself out? Yeah, I think they're fine there. Uh, again, probably the deepest team uh, position uh, on the team, even with, you know, even losing a couple of, you know, I, I guess I'll call them NFL guys the last two years. You know, J.J. Taylor wasn't drafted, but he made the Patriots and played a little bit last year, and then Gary Brightwell was selected by the Giants. Um, still have Michael Wiley, who looked good uh, last season uh, as kind of the you know the number two behind Brightwell. Um, they brought in Drake Anderson, a transfer from Northwestern, who has a lot of college experience and is a little different style of runner. He's a little bit more uh, nifty and shifty. Um, they also have Jalen John, who's a second-year freshman, who's a bigger kid. Uh, maybe in the 225-pound range, uh, brings some power to the position. Um, Stevie Rocker, a freshman from here in Tucson, looked really good in spring. Um, the guys who cover high school sports here told me that he looked better in spring practice than he ever did in high school uh, while he was playing uh, for, for Canyon Del Oro here because he was healthy. And he seldom was during his prep career. And they have another kid coming in, James Bowles, uh, from uh, Orange County, California, who just had a really good spring uh, uh, in their you know shortened season that they had out there. So I think plenty of running backs. And I think the important thing to note is that th- that's going to be a very important kind of foundational piece uh, for this offense. Uh, they're going to do a lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of rollout. And 
in order to make those plays effective, you need to run the ball. I think Jed Fish recognizes that. Um, it's also a way to make things easier on a new quarterback and make things easier on an offensive line group that really struggled last season. So, relatively speaking, their their offense obviously was better than their defense because their defense was literally last in just about every category uh, in the Pac-12 for sure. And as I look at the defense this year, uh, there's the the transfer thing. It's like if you don't keep up to it every day, you're going to miss guys. And I know they got Malik Reed, a transfer from uh, Wisconsin, I think just here very recently. And they also got some other linebacker transfers and Hayward and Roberts. So I think they probably set at linebacker. Uh, secondary, maybe safety they're okay. Cornerbacks, uh, a little bit of depth issues there. Uh, what is going on as far as how much are they bolstering transfers defensively combined with the players that they have? Yeah, definitely some fresh blood uh, coming in on that side of the ball, which is needed. Um, a couple transfers that you mentioned from the MAC, uh, Trayshawn Hayward from Western Michigan. He was the 2019 uh, MAC Defensive Player of the Year, so. Um, really good pedigree there. Jerry Roberts coming in uh, from Bowling Green. I would expect both of those guys to be immediate starters uh, at linebacker alongside Anthony Candy. Um, pretty good depth at that position. Uh, depth elsewhere is kind of questionable still, um, even with the guys that they've brought in. Um, I thought the, the front-line defense looked good in spring, and for the most part, you know, they won the majority of the battles against the offense, it's, you know, it's what happens when you get a few injuries. And uh, that's, you know, that's the difficulty when you're Arizona, you're, you're not Alabama, you know, you don't have uh, four and five star guys waiting on the bench. So uh, this coaching staff has really gone about trying to build up, you know, the bottom portion of the roster, really trying to improve that depth. It's got several, um, preferred walk-ons coming in who had uh, offers from schools, um, which is a good thing. They've utilized the transfer portal heavily, and I think they're going to continue to do so in the future. I think most schools are going to continue to do so in the future. Like It wouldn't surprise me moving forward here if the composition of Arizona's recruiting classes was something like you know, 15 high school players and 10 kids from the transfer portal. It further wouldn't surprise me if a lot of teams who are kind of on that level uh, did the same thing. It's just it's just how things are now. Um, it's going to be a prominent part of team building um, moving forward. So I look at Arizona's schedule, and there's no Stanford, and there's no Oregon State, and the non-conference is BYU on a neutral side, followed by San Diego State and NAU at home. How much progress can Arizona make getting back to 500? Are the pieces of the puzzle there, or is this going to be a rough year? There's going to be a lot of building done, but the record isn't going to reflect any progress. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to go from you know a 12-game losing streak and 0-5 season to six and six, which, you know, I think would be considered above and beyond um, expectations. Um, you know, I, 
the honeymoon period, I think, is going to be longer for Jed Fish than it was for Kevin Sumlin because of the state of program uh, that, that each guy inherited. Remember, when Kevin Sumlin came in, they had Khalil Tate kind of at the height of his powers. They were 7-6 and six the previous year. I mean, it wasn't viewed as a rebuilding project at that time. Maybe we were all fooled because of how good Tate was during that one stretch. Um, but, you know, they were favored in their opener against BYU, I believe, by double digits. Um, and that was probably right where the honeymoon period ended. They lost that game. You know, Tate didn't run. The offense didn't look good. It was kind of downhill from there. Um, they are not going to be favored in this matchup against BYU. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, they're going to struggle to beat San Diego State uh, in week two, even though that game is here and, you know, it's a G5 team. Um, I think that, you know, something in the range of four and eight is what we might be looking at in year one under Jed Fish. But if they're able to do that, if they're competitive and, you know, they're able to, to beat ASU at the end of the season, I think that would be viewed as a positive considering where they, where they're coming from. Um, so it's, it's kind of all tied into, you know, what happened before. And when you've lost 12 games in a row, um, you know, not a lot is, is expected out of you. And the only thing that, you know, Judd Fish has referred to as far as record goes or expectations or how he would define success is he just wants, he just wants Arizona to be a tough out each week, each week, you know, the toughest team that anyone faces in the Pac-12 and the results kind of are what they are. I actually like their receivers uh, as a group. We don't know who's going to be throwing to them, but I think they got a decent set of receivers, although Joyner, one of their better ones, I understand had some foot surgery and probably is going to miss that BYU game. Yeah, Jamari Joyner had a Jones fracture in his foot last spring, and then toward the end of this spring, he had a recurrence um, of the fracture, uh, which I guess happens uh, in a certain percentage of cases. And he's going to be out for a while. Um, he conceivably could, could miss the beginning of the regular season. Uh, we'll see. You know, just super talented player, maybe an NFL caliber player. Um, not something that you want to rush back from. Um, I like the, you know, kind of the top end quality of that group. I'm not sure the quantity is quite where, um, they want it to be. However, um, they don't play nearly as many three- and four-wide receiver sets as they did um, before. Um, tight end is a legitimate and prominent part of this offense. There are a lot of two tight end sets involved, and when you do that, you know, you really only need two receivers on the field. So um, they're able to kind of mitigate um, the lack of, of depth a little bit in that regard. Um, Stanley Berryhill, I would say, was probably the MVP of spring. Uh, on offense, and he was their leading receiver a year ago. Um, and he's the guy, um, I think, who's going to be leading that group this year, no matter who the quarterback is. Well, Michael, we appreciate the uh, the time, the perspective on the rebuild in Arizona, and look forward to seeing the Wildcats play the local teams a couple times this year. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And PK, I'll try not to bring up 70-7 to 7 too many times around you. Good luck with that. That's your number, PK. 70. Absolutely. 
and seven. Oh, we'll never see that again in, in many, many lifetimes, I would think. Uh, but w- what's funny is that I just thought about this. I didn't even realize it. In a fairly short span of time, Arizona is going to open with BYU three times. Yeah. Because I remember the one down in Arizona because it was uh, Kalani's first game. Mm-hmm. I was there. Yeah. And uh, that little, uh, what's the kicker's name? He's like 12 years Jake old. Jake Oldroyd. Yeah, kicks the winning field goal. I, remember, I asked him in the post game, how old are you? There were <laughs> legitimately people on that team who had no clue who he was. He was that so, new. He looked so young. And they won that ball game. And then I forgot about the one in Tucson. And I was there at that one, too. Well, that one, I, it was in Tucson. I thought it was, in Arizona, it was at the Cardinal Stadium. No, Kalani's Old, was in Oldroyd's Tucson. Oh, Oldroyd was, was in, yeah, you're right. Okay. was on yeah. the Cardinals field. And then, the, and then the Khalil Tate thing, when it was after he had that incredible season. Correct. And they come in with Sumlin, and it just, right from the start, I mean, that very game, we're sitting in the press box up there, and you could hear the Arizona media to our left, like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. This kid didn't look near like what he had looked under Rich Rod. And I think Rich Rod is a phenomenal offensive coach uh, when it just comes to schemes and everything. And, and I've always respected his uh his ability from the offensive perspective for sure. And then Khalil Tate's just at a, just looking awful, and it's like he's just chucking the ball deep and, and nobody was there. And I for, But I forgot about that game. But the funny thing is, as uh, Kalani was walking off the field, he comes up to me and he says, I bet you like this result, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows about you in Arizona and Arizona State. Kalani. Uh, PK, to answer your original question about all this, this is part of a three-game deal that was agreed to between Arizona and BYU. Yeah, now that you said that, I remember that. But I had, I had, uh, And Mangum played pretty well in that game, and I forgot about that game. That was a big win for them. At the end, because we didn't know, as Michael Lev was saying, Arizona wasn't that bad the year before. They weren't. And then they just hit rock bottom under Sumlin. It was amazing how, how much they Everything fall, went fell wrong. off. Yeah, everything it did. went wrong. Yeah. It was just nonstop wrong, wrong, wrong. And I, you're right, I had forgotten about that game in Tucson, but that really was the game where it's like, wait, they had a really good quarterback. Yes. What happened? He's the same guy, Are you going but to he's use not him? the same guy. No, it was stunning sitting in that press box. I mean, Sports Illustrated, uh, I think it was them, had on their cover, at least for the West Coast, big, big thing on Tate being a Heisman candidate and I thought yeah I mean he came in and took the league by storm was winning player of the week like three or four times in a row off from the offensive perspective and he looked really really dynamic yeah. and then nothing nothing nope. he's at a the pocket passer and yeah it just yeah they just put him in a position where he wasn't meant to succeed and then, you know I really think coaching of all the sports coaching and football really matters and it was just bad so fish is coming in here and the good thing with him is that it's it's so bad that anything he does, and he's already been uh, hitting the PR campaign in the really in Arizona, not just Tucson, because in order to hit the PR campaign, you've got to make yourself available to the Phoenix folks, and he has a bunch of times. So I got to give him credit. He's a Jersey guy all the way, as I said. Uh, a he went Jersey to the same guy high who didn't play football. He was a tennis guy, yeah, and he's yeah, at yeah. Florida leaving sticky notes under Steve Spurrier's windshield. Day after day after day after day, and finally gets a, 
a chance to be a you know volunteer grad coach kind of deal, you know, total grunt level, entry level. That's a really, really unusual path to be in a Pac-12 head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, nevertheless, uh, he's got a pro uh, uh, pedigree too. He went to the, yep. he went to the same high school as Linda Tripp. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> How many people went to high school with Linda Tri- same year or just same school, oh, no, different Linda, time? Because he's Tripp's, younger. He's Linda way Tripp's younger. Is deceased now, isn't she? Oh, really? Yeah, she's he's way, way older. younger. Yeah, yeah, he's way. But but my sister went to the same high school. Went to that high school and was a classmate of Linda Tripp's because <laughs> when all that stuff and if you Linda Tripp was the gal with uh, Clinton and what was the other girls the girls Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're Linda Tripp was the one who told Monica to save the dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember my sister saying, uh, Linda Tripp, I remember her from high school. <laughs> it's like a, out of nowhere, <laughs> East Hanover, New Jersey, <laughs> where uh, Fish is from. So you know he can talk, and he's been winning the PR situation. i got to give him credit. And i got to give the U of A credit, too, because someone was a nightmare, and they saw how Herm is just beloved by everybody. And I think that stuff matters. I mean, you've got to have the horses to win on a football field for sure. But you've got to have somebody that knows how to play that game. I mean, you look at And I don't know what Blake Anderson's going to be at Utah State. I followed him a little bit because of my, my wife's grandmother in Arkansas State. So I have a little bit of an idea. But you look at Kyle and Kalani. And those two guys knock it out of the park, and I think that's really that that's important. It's not the most important, but you can't be a Kevin Sumlin type guy either. You got to figure a way to recruit, and players have got to a want to come to your school, and b they have to want to stay at your school, and boosters have to want to write checks. That helps. Either you got to win a lot, or you got to be likable, or both. Yes. And the, the thing with Rich Rod is, Rich Rod is the only coach since Tomey to leave there with a winning record. They actually, you know, five out of six years he was there, they had a winning record. Now, they only won big once, and obviously there were off-the-field issues that were major. Uh, but Rich Rod included, no one's left there with a winning record in conference play since Tomey. So there is a lot of heavy lifting to be done. And it starts with changing the energy and the vibe. It does. It does. But they need a whole lot more talent. Your question about the defense was spot on. Defensively, they've got to get better because that was a problem going back to Rich Rod. Rich Rod won games because they could outscore people. Mm-hmm. But the, the tackling, the lack of speed on defense, you did not have to have a sharp football eye to see who the faster team was. When the Arizona defense was on the field, it usually wasn't them. There were people running away from them, regardless of who they were playing. Yep. All right, when we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed next. Stay with us. Okay, he's going to New York, and... Uh, he is a kid that's uh, probably going to struggle, and you know what's going to happen. They're going to start screaming. And uh, how well does he handle adversity? How well can he put up with the media and all the distractions? And why aren't you this and why aren't you that? And he can't go on. He can't get in front of the reporters and go, well, my offensive line's not very good. I really feel for this kid. He's going to get beat up, and we're going to find out how tough he is. you got to be tough as all get out on the inside to make it in this league. And uh, New York are toughen you up. That's Jerry Bradshaw, the former Steeler quarterback, longtime NFL commentator, talking about Zach Wilson going to New York. 
Well, the part about are they going to put talent around him, how beat up is he going to get physically, how good is the offensive line, those are all good storylines. But PK, the local New York media doesn't, uh, doesn't play the same way it did 20 or 30 years ago. I think that's a fact. And we need to be 100% accurate. New York is in New Jersey. They practice in New Jersey, and they play in New Jersey. And, yeah, I feel really bad for him. He's about to get $22 million into his bank account. So what's that going to be, uh, 10 11 $12 million after after taxes? Uh, I, I just think that the media there, though, is it's, it's everywhere. You don't think Baker Mayfield felt it in Cleveland? Absolutely. You, he did. When you go that high and you go to a crappy team, it's there. It's around you. So I don't know that there is New York media specific. Sure, they're going to get on you, but they're not going to be the ones booing you if you suck, right? It's going to be the fans, presuming you know they have fans in the ballpark or the stadium and all that stuff. Uh, but that's that's I really believe that's inherent anywhere. You don't think that if he was drafted number two by the Cowboys, it would be any different? I really don't see where the difference is in the way the world is set up today. Okay, but how about Jacksonville? They are as close to the edge of the flat NFL earth as is possible. And and here's the other thing. The the five quarterbacks who went in the first 15 picks, three of them went to teams that you would have to say, at minimum, are mediocre, right? If you go to the Bears, their offense has been a disaster, but their defense has been good enough to keep them around 500. Patriots are coming off a 500-ish season before that, a long playoff run, and they had a lot of guys opt out. So it's really the top two picks who are going to bad teams, right? Uh, Trey Lance, the third pick, is going to the Niners. Down year, two years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right, I, I buy all that. But my point I'm making is once you give, and obviously all rookies are untested, that's the nature of being a rookie, at the start of their uh, NFL career or whatever career they're in, and you give somebody $23 million of guaranteed money, that just screams pressure. I mean, you look at Francisco Lindor right now with the Mets. He's hitting under 200, and he's a proven commodity. Well, they gave him big, big money. You know, these the money deals now that these uh, baseball players are getting are in the $300 million range. So... There's a lot of pressure, yeah, but I think there's pressure on Trevor Lawrence, and I and I agree with you. Uh, the Jacksonville is about as barely into the NFL as you can get, but not anymore. Now that you got Urban, I know and you're He's the number one, and you've been the number one pick for three years. And where you're going to get – see, the thing is, I don't know I, – I think Bradshaw's right about the pressure on Wilson and how will he handle it. I think where you need to disagree with Bradshaw is that pressure would exist anywhere. Because yes, that's what I'm the saying. pregame shows from the networks yeah, yeah. are going to go to Jacksonville. They, Trevor Lawrence is too big a star in college not to. They're going to go to Jacksonville. And The Athletic is going to write about it. And ESPN.com is going to write about it. And on down the line with the websites. Right. And plus, Lawrence has Popovich hair. <laughs> no, he doesn't. It's much thicker. It's about the same because length. He's younger. He's I'll give younger, you the length. Though. But his hair is thicker and it has more younger. color. And why are we breaking down hair? Why am I getting sucked <laughs> into this? I resent myself right now. <laughs> this is, who looks more like Tom Petty? 
Trevor Lawrence <laughs> or Greg Popovich? <laughs> so should I send out a tweet with the Popovich's hair tonight and say, let's pick up where we left off? Because I must have gotten, I don't know, 50 to 100 gifts and likes and retweets. and I mean, people got into the Popovich hair discussion during the game Monday because it wasn't very competitive. Yeah, but irregardless, uh, let's harken back to the early days. PK, people want to have fun when they're driving to work. That's PK, a true story. want to have fun. They don't be do. so argumentative with me. <laughs> they they want to have fun. They do want to have fun. Fun. And the hair conversation is fun. <laughs> yes, it is. People had a good time. I mean, the gifts of Tales of the Crypt and the Lord of the Rings. And I mean, it just went on and on. Uh, Hunger Games. A lot of people went to the Hunger Games with Pop's hair. Um, so we'll see where they go tonight. If he plays the guitar, I really believe he could go on to- a tour with Crosby Stills. <laughs> <laughs> he can wear his hair in a ponytail as long as the Jazz win tonight. That's the other thing we've hit this morning here. There are seven games left in the season with the Suns' overtime win in Cleveland there in a dead heat. The Suns are going to go back-to-back and play in Atlanta tonight. Atlanta's 22-10 and 10 since their coaching change, something like that. Uh, they are a much, much better team under Nate McMillan. They are now fifth in the East. And if they beat the Suns tonight, the Jazz could be up by a game if they take care of business. So whether they win by 1, 11, or 21, whether Pop's hair is in a man bun like Ricky Rubio, or whether he's shaved it all and he's a golden domer tonight, whatever, can the Jazz get the win and take the lead on the Suns? Well, I think if the Suns win tonight, they're probably going to win the, the conference. This, is, this would be a great win for them. Uh, Hawks are decent, assuming they got everybody and everybody plays. You Let's just assume, don't know right. from the, the, the NBA and guys playing. It's like the transfer portal. If you don't follow it every day, you're behind. <laughs> it's just guys are transferring all the time and are putting their name in anyway. And the same thing with uh, NBA guys sit from game to game. I can't keep track, but we don't know if LeBron's going to be back for that Sunday game with the Lakers. He's out Thursday, Friday. So will he play Sunday? How many minutes will he play? How well will he play? That game looks difficult on paper, but to what you're saying here about guys missing games, that game may not be that difficult for the Suns at all. No, it may not be. I think the Lakers are going to do just enough not to finish uh, seventh. I'm not sure they have a whole lot of care as long as they're healthy. About fifth or uh, sixth. From four, I would say four, five, six. Well, they're not getting to four. It's too late for that now. Right. So, okay, fine. It's so, five, six, seven, and your point is they don't care if they're five or six. They just don't want to be seven because right. they want the time off. They don't want to have to play another game or two. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for them to play that in that situation. So they're going to do whatever they do, and they're going to map that out to make sure that they're in that spot. And There's probably not a whole lot of difference between five and six either way. Uh, I mean, I realize the brackets change, but for them, they feel like if they're healthy, they're going to be very confident to win it all, and good for them. I don't have any problem with that. But if Phoenix gets this win, I think they might be difficult to overtake. But at the same time, I'm perfectly comfortable with the Jazz being two and healthy. And I, I think a lot of people say, well, they were first place since uh, the beginning of February. Yeah, and they probably would have been first place, too, if they hadn't had two starting guards go out. So it's easy to understand. It's not like it's a big psychological blow. Oh, wow, they really gagged at the end. They didn't finish first. No, I think we'll point to the reason why they didn't finish first because their starting guards were out for three or four weeks or whatever it might end up being, right? Isn't that an easy explanation? 
It is an easy explanation, and I think it largely holds true, especially if the Jazz really compete with the Suns down the stretch. And, you know, if the final margin ends up being four games, it's hard to rationalize, but they're tied with seven games to go, so it seems like the margin's going to be a game or two, regardless of which team is one and which team is two. And we don't know. And I I think you're right about the Lakers don't care about five and six, in part because they just don't care, but also because, well, they don't know who's going to be three and four, so why would you try to engineer it when you don't know if you get the Nuggets or the Clippers because you don't know which order they're going to finish in? So there's a whole lot of hey, let's get healthy and just throw your hands up in the air and not worry about the rest of it. Yeah, and let the Suns extend themselves getting it. Don't we all in the back of our mind wonder all these minutes Chris Paul is playing and all the times he's had injuries? He was injured in the Jazz Clippers series that had Gordon Hayward and Joe Johnson the first time they went to the playoffs in the Quinn Snyder era. He was hurt. He was hurt in the Houston series uh, when he was with the year is with Houston and Houston and Golden State um, were going right down to the wire and he got hurt. He just gave an interview where he talked about that. Oh yeah, that series or all of the injuries? Uh, No, all of it. Not 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 any individual. He talked about how has he how he has had some untimely, obviously postseason injuries, and it's true he has. Well, in that case, well, you know, are, are the Jazz, I guess it comes down to, um, are the Jazz, oh, I just Googled it, Chris Paul what? breaks his third metacarpal as his hand gets stuck in a jersey. That's freaky. Yeah. That is just, that is such a weird, weird way to get it. Oh, I don't think he's a lightweight or dogging it. It was a hamstring with the, uh, with the Rockets. It anyway, it's, it's just, are the Jazz and the Suns, going to get to the conference final and play each other? Are they both going to end up there? Because that's when the one-two thing will really matter, and I don't think any of us can guarantee that based on the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. I'm like with Shanahan. I can't even guarantee I'll be alive Sunday. Oh, that quote's not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) That was a good one right there. And he could have just said yes, and Garoppolo's still with the team. But he didn't want to say yes because he didn't know about draft day trades. So, All right, DJ and PK... When we come back, your feedback. You're hitting us up on Twitter and on Facebook. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. PK, I totally agree with you about the sports fire points. That is a really cool way to say it, by the way. You're a stud. And uh, I love the fire points, too. And even in baseball. I agree with you. Too bad they happen only once every 22 games. If you open up that can of worms about allowing fans and not allowing fans in attendance, then you're opening up the can of worms about big market versus small market. Finally, a small market team gets an advantage. Screw you, NBA. Oh, I think the Jazz should get a two-point spot uh, for every one million of population that the team has more than them. Ooh, wah, no! Play the games! Bring the fans! Let's go! <laughs> Join Hans and G Friday at the warehouse from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Boom! Question of the morning. Is Rudy Gobert getting the credit he deserves? Eric says, can the cover of Forbes and being the highest paid French athlete be considered as credit? Yes. Nationally, Molly gives us Danny DeVito the shake of the head. No, 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 <laughs> Danny no. DeVito. Danny DeVito. Oh, it's a great gift. It's a great one. It's uh, it's awesome. 
Uh, and Cam sends this uh, Simon Cowell. It's a no from me. The judge of all judges. Gage says locally, close. Nationally, not even. Slightly. Hmm. A little extreme. Simply put, no. He's not getting the credit. Uh, Brendan says, without Rudy, the Jazz would be a fringe playoff team. He is the X factor that makes us a contender. I hope we never find out. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the playoffs are now all the way down to 10th. I don't know. I guess it depends on if you're saying 10th or 8th, old school or 6th. I don't know. I don't know how you're defining playoff these days. Suddenly even that isn't clear. Uh, yeah, could I see I them 6th think... in the West without Rudy? Yeah, I could. If that's where you're defining I could see that. But I don't think 6th in the West is a fringe playoff team. Usually the 6th place team, certainly in the West, yeah. is a pretty good team. I think the way we're going to look at the playoffs now is the way we look at the play-in games in college. Yeah, you were in. Technically, you're in. I'll give it to you. But, but if you don't play a 7-gamer, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be in the field of 64, and you got to be in the 8. Yes. Uh, we got more people weighing in here. Um, Rudy is a top 10 player in about 27 categories right now. He's a top 5 NBA player in terms of impact and value. But he won't be all NBA first team, and he won't finish in the top 5 in the MVP voting. So under that, you would have to say no then. I don't think he'll be first team all NBA. I think that'll go to Jokic, certainly, and probably Embiid would be second. Uh, and I'm not sure, am I missing anybody? Is there anybody else who would be contending for uh, third team with Rudy at the center spot? Am I missing somebody off the top of my head? Oh, uh, there are multiple guys who seem to switch between the four and the five, so I guess it depends on how they get listed. You know, I mean, Steve Cleveland always says AD has to play the five, and obviously he's playing the four because otherwise Steve wouldn't be saying he's got to play the five, you know. Oh, so you've got sure, those missing guys. 30 games this year, he's not going to get anything. Uh, that, that's true. Too many uh, games you off, missed. Off your recollection of the Koopa Loop and how the alley-oop to Koopa Loop was great, and now you look forward to the alley-oops to uh, Rudy Gobert. Brent says, so the Lakers had the Koopa Loop. Do the Jazz have the Gobble-Lob? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's decent. <laughs> I like that. I'm using that one. Gobble-Lob. Gobble-Lob! <laughs> Uh, I've lost it in here, but there's a guy who says he can vouch for you at the gym in the morning. He's seen you uh, hitting the elliptical with fury. I can't. I can't find the yeah, tweet. But, uh, I mean, people pick at the dumbest things, I know, man. Right? <laughs> I, know. I mean, I one guy just getting on me about uh, what's the product for men or something uh, for your hair color. Uh, oh, really? I, I got fired for TV, so I don't do it anymore. But. Uh, yeah, I don't. My it's a little hair harsh. Is my hair. Um, Clint says, "Can we talk about how David DJ James has Lego hair?" All right, I could worry about my hair, but then, <laughs> then you'd criticize me. Oh, he's a TV guy, so I was worried about his hair. Why do you have Lego hair? I don't. When I think of you, I don't think of your hair. Let's talk a little football here. You Chasta trailer tweets at us. I think a secondary question behind how Zach Wilson handles criticism by the New York media, is how Lisa handles them criticizing Zach. That could be a bigger circus. As Rich Eisen said, quote, did they draft the next Broadway Joe or Stifler and his mom? 
Okay, the Stifler's mom thing, which I've seen out there, mm-hmm. I would be hard-pressed to explain how uncomfortable I am with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's a character, and she does the thing at the treehouse, and I've had several people tell me as recently as yesterday, oh, yeah, I've spoken to her. But she's been outgoing long before Zach came into public view. That's just the way the lady is. But the Stifler's mom thing, if I you really know the think theme, that close crosses the line. If you know the movie plot, uh, yeah, we don't really want to talk about it. If you want to talk about her being outgoing and enthusiastic, I'm all for it. Because as I understand it, I've never spoken to the lady, but as I understand it from people, she's been that way for many years. We are out of time. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty. Stay with us on the Zone Sports Network.